Period is a production of BNM Media and brought to you by Sooners360.com. Make sure to go follow Jalen at Sooner Sports Daily on Instagram and at underscore Jalen Ross on Twitter. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to the Blitz Period. Jalen Ross here. And uh, fellas, I think I owe y'all one uh, because it's been two weeks. And I've said probably 15 words max on the last two episodes uh, because I have not said a word about the new receiving coach hire or any of the transfers. And uh, that is my fault because I did set up roundtables around this time, which was the worst possible time due to the fact that you've got the transfer portal going on and coaching changes. So, uh, yeah, I should have thought about that before that. But I'm not complaining. I mean, look, our last two episodes were awesome. If you haven't had a chance to go listen to those yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. Make sure you go listen to them. They're both pretty long, but listen, you ain't working anyway. So while you're at your desk, you might as well just pop your headphones in and uh, give these last two episodes a listen. Or if you're in there taking care of the kitchen, uh, if you're doing the dishes, mowing the lawn, whatever you're doing. Or if you want to go to bed. Listen to the pod before you go to sleep. Like, let that be your bedtime. If you've got a kid, instead of lullabies, turn on the Blitz Period by Jalen Ross roundtables and let them fall asleep to that. It'll be awesome. They'll grow up and they'll become the next uh, sports media guy. So anyway, uh, yeah, make sure you go listen to them. uh, Interviews with uh, former Sooners Noah Allen, Tristan Ross, Stephen Coleman, Corey Bennett, Alonzo Dodson, and Quentin Chaney. We'll have Mark Clayton, J.D. Runnels on in the future. Uh, Lewis Baker. Lee Morris, anybody you can think of, man, we're going to pull some strings. And we're also going to get some national college football guys uh, on here soon. We've already been in conversation with a few of them. And uh, they're going to come on here and they're going to talk a little bit of trash about our Sooners and see how things go. But anyway, let's get down into the nitty and gritty of uh, what we're here today to talk about. So first off, I want to open up talking about the uh, new wide receivers, Coach Hire and Emmett Jones. And here's the thing, man. I like this hire. Um, I know a few of the first few comments on the Instagram post when the hire was made was, who is this guy? Is he good? Is Was this a reach? Because I think everybody was expecting Malcolm Kelly. Here's what I think. This hire is about recruiting because Emmett Jones is a guy with a ton of pool in the North Texas area, which newsflash pipeline for Oklahoma. Um, and he was the head coach at South Oak Cliff High School. They just won back-to-back state titles. They've got dudes. Uh, he coached under the legendary Reginald Samples, who is the head coach at Duncanville. And Duncanville just won a state title. And Duncanville has three guys on their team that are top priorities for Oklahoma and Caden Durham, DeCorian Moore, and Colin Simmons. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be a few more to come up because they've got D1 guys like it's nothing. And, uh, you know, I mean, you think, I mean, look, man, you think about North Texas, that's, that's a hotbed. And, Emmett Jones helps you with that a lot. I think Emmett Jones is a guy that when you look at it on paper, it's like this is a guy who, you know, everything he's about, like the way he carries himself, it all lines up with what Brett Venables is trying to do with this staff in terms of the kind of people they are, uh, the kind of, you know, the relationship guy, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I met Todd Bates for the first time this morning, and you talk about a guy that's genuine, like that's him. You know, Brent Venables, we all know that. Very genuine guy. I talk about that all the time. Emmett Jones really, really sets that off because a lot of people, man, like, think about this for a second. You know, Joey McGuire, the head coach at Texas Tech. If you don't know anything about Joey McGuire, Joey McGuire is 
widely respected in the state of Texas uh, due to the fact that he was the head coach at a high school in Texas, and he was a really good head coach and got hired by Baylor uh, as a position coach and worked his way up to becoming a head coach. And, you know, like that Texas High School Coaches Association, they're all a really tight-knit group. And that's the reason why somebody like Emmett Jones was was still on was on that staff with McGuire, because he was able to help him with that. And you think about somebody like Kill Gundy, who obviously isn't around anymore, and one of Kill Gundy's big areas is Texas. Or really, I mean, that was his biggest area was Texas, and specifically North Texas, like mainly like the Denton area and all all that. But Emmett Jones is going to help you a lot in that. Now, I say recruiting. It's not like he can't be a developer. I mean, he's inheriting a pretty nice room this year. I mean, you talk about uh, you know, Jalil Farouk, who's your number one guy really heading in the next year. Uh, I'll get into – I'll dig a little bit into Andrew Anthony here in a little bit. Um, Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, LV Bunkley, Shelton, Gavin Freeman. I mean, uh, you're bringing in Keon Brown, Jacquez Petaway. Like, you're, he's got some talent in this room he's inheriting. And Texas Tech – always seems to have some really good receivers. Um, you know, seem to remember he was the interim head coach at, Te- at Kansas when they were going through their head, their head coaching change and everybody at Kansas. I don't even know if he coached a game at Kansas. I think he was just the interim because I know they got rid of Les Miles and that whole drama that happened. And he was the head coach for like the spring, I believe. I don't remember, but I'm not, I'm not on Kansas message boards if those exist. But, um, all I know is he was the interim head coach of Kansas and everybody at Kansas loved him. So, uh, you know, and I remember when he was there because that was like the first time I'd have heard of him. But um, I don't think it was a reach. I think it's a really good hire. Um, you know, I've talked to a few players already that have gotten to meet him and they said that like he's they love him already. So, you know, he's only been there 48 hours and they already love the guy. So uh tells you all that you need to know about this hire. But anyway, uh, getting into some transfer news. So. Uh, Andrew Anthony is who I want to start with. And Andrew Anthony is a bit of an interesting case because, you know, I looked at it and um, when he announced his transfer, it seemed like there were a few Michigan fans out there that were upset by the fact that he was leaving the program because I think they thought he should have contributed more for the Wolverines. Now, I didn't pay much attention to Michigan this year, except for the fact that J.J. McCarthy, you owe me money. Anyway, um, it seemed like that was the consensus among people. In that area, uh, I do know a Michigan fan, so I'm actually going to have to ask him about about what he thinks on that. But um, shout out to my man TJ. But uh, Andrew Anthony, man, a guy caught three touchdowns this year for the Wolverines, and I remember he had a big game against Michigan State. I believe it was last year, uh, 2021. I think it was. That whole season has been wiped from my memory, so I can't really tell you off the top of my head. But um, uh, Anthony is a guy that I think really he's he's like the he's not the prototypical, but he's a guy that really lines up with what I think Jeff Levy's looking for and these receivers and guys that have the size, that have the speed, and they can stretch the field because that's what you look at in somebody like Jacquez Petaway and Keon Brown. Keon Brown's a guy he's 6'3, but he's also pretty fast and he can stretch the field. Same thing with Anthony. Mm, excuse me. And you're looking at two guys here that or not two. Well, you're looking at one guy in Anthony who has got the experience. And I mean, I think you can get some production out of him. Like, I'm not saying he's going to come in and put up a thousand yards and be a Bolitnikov finalist or anything like that. Granted, I don't know that much about him yet to a point to say that he can't do it. 
But he can be productive. I mean, he can come in and put up 600, 700 yards, which is not a bad season for a receiver at all. I mean, that's that's those are pretty nice numbers. Uh, you know, he can come in and put up maybe 700 yards and eight touchdowns or something like that. That's that's a quality season. If you put something like that together, you got something good. Um, because I mean, currently this year, this year he had 248 yards. So it'd be a career year for him. And as far as receiver additions, I believe that's all. I mean, uh, Tyrone Broden is not, he committed to Arkansas earlier this morning. So I believe they're done for now. I mean, obviously you can go and add something in the, uh, in the, uh, the next portal opening, which is in the spring, but right now they're set there. And you know, it's interesting. I mean, here's what I think. Like when I look at this receiver room, I see a bunch of size and that's what matters with this system that Jeff Levy wants to run. Because I think so much of what we talked about throughout the year, well, not even what we talked about, just looking at it, watching the game. Dylan Gabriel's main problem was he had the issue. The accuracy was an issue. Overthrows were an issue. And like, when you look at somebody like Marvin Mims, which I also didn't talk about that either. Again, I'll say I was a little bit blindsided by the fact that Mims decided to declare for the draft. But now that I look back on it, it's like I get it because, one, I don't really know what else he needed to do. I mean, I thought, again, I thought that some of the games this year might have hurt his stock a little bit. I'm not a draft expert, so I don't know. But, I mean, you look at Jackson Smith and Jigba, the kid didn't play a game all year, and he's probably going to be the first receiver off the board. So, you know, but again, he's on another planet. But Marvin Mims, looking at him from like a size standpoint, again, I talk about like the prototypical Jeff Levy receiver. I don't think that's Mims. Now, Mims is a deep threat. Yes, he is. But he's not there size-wise as far as what I think they want in that deep threat. And for Dylan Gabriel, it helps him out in so many ways because I think that helps with these overthrows of you got a guy that can run down the field and he's 6'3", 6'4", and he can go get it. That's what they're looking for, and that's going to help him a ton. Now, obviously, Gabriel has to fix the issues with throwing the ball over the middle, actually doing it, because I think he got too scared to do it at points, which, you know, I get, but I'm not a quarterback, so I don't really know. But still, I mean, you talk about the fact the guy can't even see over his offensive line. Like, that's not going to help you that much. But, uh, you know, having receivers with some size is going to help. So, uh, definite need there, and I really like this addition of Anthony. But I think this about the offense this year. And by the way, just a quick point. So like for Jeff Levy, I know some of y'all saw my post the other day about me addressing some of the rumors that will be out there, I think, about Jeff Levy. Uh, You know, his name was in the bucket for the TCUOC job. They ended up going the direction of Kendall Browse, who was his brother-in-law, by the way. And then um, uh, Bama should have an OC opening. They need to have an OC opening because that's – yeah, they need to go ahead and do something there. But uh, I believe Levy's also going to be in the running for that job. I'm not saying they're gonna he's going to take it, but like I think you might hear his name if that job opens. I, look, like I don't see any way he's not Oklahoma's offensive coordinator next season. Uh, he will be, and if he is, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I know people want to be bitter about him, you know, in these swing passes, which I get. They triggered me too. But like some of the stuff, y'all, just we we can't act like. We're talking about a guy who had a top 15 offense this year, an offense that averaged nearly 500 yards a game, an offense that put up some really good numbers in the last few games. 
uh, I mean, yardage-wise, they went insane. I think they had 500, more than 500 yards in the last three games, if I'm not mistaken. So the numbers are there. I think we're just too bitter about the fact this offense wasn't number one or this offense wasn't top three like it has been. Newsflash, guys, in the 128-year history of Oklahoma football, they have not always had a top five offense. But wait a minute. They've also won national championships. Not having the number one offense. So you can't just want to go fire everybody because your offense isn't number one in the country or number two or number three. Top 15 is not bad considering what they lost. You lost the freaking Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. Like, I don't know if you know this, but that's a big, that's a pretty big hit. I mean, come on now. Think. And so what I see for this offense in 2023, like Jeff Levy. Okay, so so here's what I'll say. For Jalil Farouk, you know, you notice as the season went on, you saw him doing a lot of stuff out of the backfield. I think that's going to continue. But I think you're going to see a larger portion of it. I think you're going to see a little bit more of uh, Jalil Farouk getting action maybe on some some wheels or some, uh, God forbid, swing passes, uh, wide zone stretch plays and stuff like that. You can see some more of Jalil Farouk. Put it like this. You're going to see him take on more of a Debo Samuel type role. I could see that happening. If you don't know, like the, the 49ers, what they do with Debo Samuel, what Kyle Shanahan does. Kyle Shanahan likes to put Samuel in the backfield because, I mean, Samuel is a running back and a receiver's – I'm sorry, no. He's a receiver and a running back's body. So he can do it all. And they use they utilize him out of the backfield. He's effective in so many different ways. I think you can see that with Jalil Farouk this year because this year I do think he's your number one guy at receiver. And then you have an opportunity to, to help him be more versatile. So that's, that's something I see happening. And it's not completely out of the picture. Um, Granted, it's only January, so like I'll get in all that once the spring comes. And the spring, by the way, is going to be so fun for this podcast just because of like how much I'm going to hit on today. But um, you know, like the main thing I looked at is the defensive side of the ball, and you talk about portal additions on that side. Uh, uh, Rondell Bothroyd, Bothroyd, yeah, Rondell Bothroyd, the uh, the uh, D line transfer from Wake Forest, six four two sixty five, ultra productive as a demon deacon. Okay. 93 tackles, 30 tackles for loss, five, 15 sacks in his career, not this season. Uh is a difference maker. Okay, like again, we're not at the spring yet, but I don't see the way a way this guy's not a starter next year. Because I mean, on paper, he clears anybody on that D-line right now. And you know, the honest truth with this D-line is you've got a bunch of guys that really just need to step up. Like, I love what they're doing in the portal with it. You talk about a Bothroyd, you talk about a, a Devon Sears, a uh, Jacob Lacey, a Trace Ford. But here's the thing about like someone like a Sears or a uh, a Lacey. There's not much product. Not there's not much production from those two. And Jacob Lacey's played a lot of college football, but not a ton of production from him. Devon Sears didn't have a. Now I'll give Sears the benefit of the doubt because I think he's only a junior, but. Uh, not a lot of production from him last season at Texas State. What you see in those two guys are mainly contributors. Like you look at like when you saw Je- when you saw Jonah Ulu and Jeffrey Johnson transfer in, you looked at those guys and thought, 
Those are difference makers. Jeffrey Johnson, especially because Jeffrey Jeffrey Johnson was a guy who did some great things at Tulane, was a captain, had production at Tulane, comes in, he's being coached by the best defensive line coach in the country, and you're like, okay, this guy's going to be a guy. He's going to be a dude. Now, Jeffrey Johnson had a pretty good year. Like, I don't think he was – he wasn't insanely great. Like, he wasn't – he didn't have the 10-sack season and stuff like that. But he made plays. He moves a lot better than I thought he did for as big as he is. Like, he he can take up some space. He's a big old boy. And I thought he was a good player. But I don't think he was what we thought he was going to be. Jonah Lulu was the same way. Now, Jonah Lulu, granted, he had some moments as well. I mean, the pick versus OSU, awesome. He had a few disruptive moments, but I don't think he was what everybody thought he was going to be. Again, like I kept saying throughout the season, hinder your expectations because every transfer is not going to be a dude. But when you look at this transfer class, like guys you can look at on paper and say, he's going to be a dude. Rondell Bothroyd has the, has the tape to back it up. The same McCullough has the tape to back it up. And he's still young. That's the thing. He had so much production at Indiana, and he's still young. He's, a, he's only a true freshman, so he... He's still developing, and he's coming to play for the best linebacking mind in the country. So <laughs> that helps you out a ton. But you look at somebody like Trace Ford. Like for Trace Ford, it's all about staying healthy. Uh, you know, for 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 somebody even like a Kelvin Gilliam. Kelvin Gilliam's a guy that's going to have to step up. Now, what I want to say when I say step up, I'm not saying step up in terms of like this guy's been trash. He needs to get better or he needs to go. I'm saying they need to step up in terms of. Like, this is a guy who is going to have to contribute in a major way next year. He's going to have to be a dude. Kevin Gilliam, going to have to step up. Grayson Houghton, going to have to step up more than likely. Because Grayson Houghton, I thought, had some really nice moments this year as a true freshman. Guy's still learning. He had some really nice moments. So once you give him an opportunity to, to go out there, he can, he can do something. Our Mason Thomas is a guy that can step up. Kelvin Gilliam, as I mentioned, is like, this is a guy who coming out of high school, highly touted. One Gatorade player of the year in his state, uh, you know. And I remember like when he first, when he, and I, I know like 2021 season, he was weighing about like 260, I think. And I talked to him and he was like, yeah, they want me to get up to like 290, 300. And he ended up getting up to like 290. Now you're getting ready to go through an entire offseason. And he's probably going to be around that 305, 310 range and probably even bigger. And Gilvin, um, Gilvin, Gilliam has obviously dealt with some some injury issues this year, so that's part of the reason why. But like, he's a guy that's gonna have to step up. Uh, Jordan Kelly, I thought Jordan Kelly looked really nice towards the end of the season. Um, I do believe he can come back. I, I know I keep saying I think he can come back. I still have not checked on that. Uh, let's just say he's coming back. So he's coming back next year. He's stepping up. If he continues, if he if he builds off. For how he ended the season, he's going to be great next year. Uh, well, he's not great, but he's going to be fantastic next year. Um, you know, any uh, Ethan Downs or Reggie Grimes. I mean, we had a lot of expectations on those two, and by we, I mean me. I mean, I thought Reggie Grimes was going to lead the Big Twelve in sacks. Now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt as well because Grimes was dealing with some personal stuff off the field and things like that, and that can hinder you a lot as a player. And and he was good. He led the team in sacks. But I think too many people have this expectation of him to be something that he's not quite yet. With Ethan Downs, I'll say, I'll spoil this right now. Ethan Downs did win one of our awards on the Instagram page. I'll say that. So he wasn't terrible. 
but he wasn't just this freak of nature, the next Dan Cody, like we all thought he was going to be. And it's not that these guys can't. It's just like you finally settled in. Like, here's the thing. I was telling somebody this earlier. I don't see any reason why this team doesn't take a major step up next year because you've already got a year in. You're already a year into the system. You're a year into the culture. So there's no excuses at this point. Like, I can't, I cannot make an excuse for, oh, well, he's a new guy. It's a new staff. I can't do that. Like, it's it's put up or shut up time now. And, you know, year two is where you start to see momentum. And year three is when you start to put it, you put it all together. Like, this is officially what Oklahoma football is under Brent Venables. Like, what you saw in 2022 is not what Oklahoma football is going to be under Brent Venables. I can promise you that. And if it is, I will cut my own, my own head off. But it's not going to be the case. So, when you look at this from a defensive standpoint, it's like you see what all they're doing on the D-line. And I didn't even mention, like, P.J. Adabare. P.J. Adabare is a guy I can sit here and talk. I can do a whole, as long as those roundtable podcasts about how I think P.J. Adabare is going to do as at Oklahoma. Like, you know, I'm not one to put major expectations on a recruit, but I've had so much hope on P.J. Adabare. Like, I could sit here and say he's going to win the Nagurski as a freshman. I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying that's how far I can go because that's how high on him I am. I think he's going to contribute for this team. Uh, and I'm probably going to say that a lot throughout the podcast because, you know, that's how I am. But that's just how I look at it. I mean, you know, you think about this like from a linebacker standpoint. And 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 before I actually get into linebackers, David Aguebu, uh entering the tra- – or and the transfer portal right now. You know, a lot of mixed emotions with David Aguebu because I think for me personally – I was critical of him at points this season, but I also thought he had some moments. I mean, I, I think I can, I, it might have been the Iowa State game, I believe it was. It was a game he had this year where I said, we owe him an apology because he played lights out. David Aguebu is a guy, I think, who needs the perfect situation. I always thought David Aguebu was a guy that should have been on the line. I thought he was a guy that should have been, well, when I say on the line, I mean more of like a he he should have been more of like a let's say he should have been more of like a pass rushing type linebacker. Uh, for instance, like your Micah Parsons. Him and Micah Parsons are pretty close in terms of measurements, if I'm not mistaken. Aguebu might be like a couple pounds lighter, but they're pretty close. Now he ain't Micah Parsons. Nobody is. But I think if you put Aguebu in a team on a team that's like more of a three-four type team, he's a linebacker, he's a linebacker that can rush the passer put his hand in the dirt and go make some plays or come off the edge, whatever he needs to do, he'll be fine. Like I know Houston's been out there, TCU, uh, a few, a few, a few friends of Oklahoma. So good chance you might see him again next year, but you lose David Aguebu. And I mean, you're bringing Danny Stutzman back who, you know, listen, as, as again, I was pretty, I was pretty critical of Danny Stutzman throughout the year, but like, I think his role gets even bigger next year. Like, to me, it feels like Danny's about to take on that role as the leader of this defense. Just the way that he and Brent Venables interact gives me a feeling of like he's going to be a guy this season that I'm not going to call him like the next Rocky Calmus. Like he's not, he's not going to be that. But he could be the guy that can rally the troops on defense. Because y'all all saw my little frustration rant after the West Virginia game where I said, there's not a single MF on this team that can come out and get in somebody's face and tell them what they need to do and not get them in their face and tell them they suck, but get them in their face and tell them, Hey, like, let's pick this up. 
You like you. I've made this point so many times, man. You don't have a true dog on this team. Like I, I told I told my man Adam this last week, and I know Justin Broyles is a lightning rod for this fan base. But anybody that knows me knows I love JB. And here's the thing about JB: if if you had 22 guys, if 22 guys, if all 22 players on this Oklahoma football team, well. If all 22 starters on this Oklahoma football team had the mindset that Justin Royals had, this team would be undefeated. I'll be honest, because Justin Royals' mindset is he can do anything in the world. He's about as confident as they come. And that's what I love about Justin. And 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 so you compare that, you give Justin Royals' mind to a player that to a player like Danny Stutzman. Danny Stutzman won the Bucks Award. You give Justin Bros's mindset to a player like, uh, uh, you know, let's go back and say like a Perion Winfrey. Perion Winfrey's a first-round pick. He's one of the best defensive players in the country. I mean, that all plays into football. Like, your mindset matters. And I went in through that whole little tangent on the, during the season about how it seemed like so many guys had this mindset of, we're just out here playing, rather than, hey, we got to go win this. Like, dude, we're, we're barely bowl eligible. What are we doing? You didn't see much of that. And, like, I think the last time you really had a player on this defense that was, like, that had the mindset and the game to back it up was someone like a Kenneth Murray. Like I said, Perry on Winfrey, because I think we all looked at Perry on Winfrey and thought he was going to be the next Tommy Harris. Or he was going to be the next dominant D lineman to come through Oklahoma and go be a first round pick. It, it didn't turn out to be that way. Now, Perry Winfrey is a great player. I think he is, but I think now I think part of that is also on you know the Grinch out west. But again, I'm not going to get into all that. But it's like the last player you had that had that mindset and the skill was like a Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray was the guy that thought we can go conquer the world. And he was going to knock the crap out of you to prove it. Like, if Brent, if Brent Venables coached Kenneth Murray, Kenneth Murray would have won a buckus. And I have no doubt about that, and I don't think it's a biased opinion. I think it's a true statement. Because if Kenneth Murray was out here doing all this stuff with, with Mike Stoops and Alex Grinch, what do you think he was going to do with Brent Venables as his coach? Because I think Kenneth Murray has a mindset that's like, if Brent Venables challenged him, and and you know what? Like this is this is why you guys need to listen to the roundtable with Alonzo Dotson because Lon- Alonzo Dotson and Q Cheney, by the way. But Alonzo Dotson made a great point. Who is also a national scout for the Buffalo Bills? He made a great point on the last episode. He said, when you watch somebody like Curtis Lofton play, you watch somebody like a Rufus Alexander play. You were watching Brent Venables in their bodies. Pause. You were watching players that had. Like the spirit of Brent Venables lived in them on that football field. Because we know Brent. Brent's intense. Brent is is Brent's Brent runs on smelling salts and monster energies. And I'm not joking about the monster energy, by the way. Like these dudes have a whole refrigerator of nothing but monsters in that facility. But um Brent Venables is a guy that runs on SARMs, not SARMs. Oh my gosh, what am I talking about? Runs on uh what's what's the name of that smelling salt? Uh is it Spark? I think it's Spark. Uh, yeah, Brent Venables runs on Spark and whatever. I don't know if that's true, so don't don't take that my word for it. But a man who runs off of Monster Energy, 
and is intense at every second of every hour. I mean, I'm recording this late Sunday evening, so I'm sure in like the next three hours, uh, the team is going to be up getting ready for one workouts. But you take that intensity and you're being coached by this maniac. You're going to you're going to start playing like that. Like, I, I remember, like, Roy Williams would make this point. He used to always say, better, better yet, I think he said this on the Barry and Mac show, who are the reason that you're listening to this right now. But um, he would say that, like, whenever he would play against someone and he would knock the crap out of them, he would always imagine that player as Mike Stoops because he would get so tired of Mike Stoops cussing him out that he would just want to hit him. Obviously, he can't hit his coach. He didn't want to talk back to his coach. So whenever he saw someone coming across the middle, he thought it was Mike Stoops and he would crush him. What I think you see, you saw in those lines, or what Zoe had really made a point about, and what I think you see in some of these linebackers that have played for Brent Venables is you see these guys that are like Brent Venables is living through them. And so for Danny Stutzman, it's like if Danny Stutzman can develop that mindset, and I think like Danny Danny Stutzman has some craziness to him now. Like uh, that's not that's not like that's not true. Like you see it every time he makes a tackle. But if if Danny Stutzman had that like that mindset, he'd be insane. If Kobe McKenzie develops that mindset, he'll be insane. Jaron Kennick, oh my lord! If Jaron Kennick develops that mindset, I don't know if he has it. But if he like channels his inner Brent Venables from a from an intensity standpoint, Jaron Kennedy's gonna be an all-American. Like there's so many things I can say from a potential standpoint, but again, it's a game of performance, not potential. So I'm not gonna get carried away by that. I know I already have. But to me, it's like defensively, you've got an opportunity to take a big step up next year because you're looking at additions like uh like a Caleb Sha- I'm sorry, not Caleb Schaefer. That was that's a completely different point. Uh, a Reggie Pearson in the secondary, in your secondary, it's a pivotal. He's an experienced guy. He's got the production to back it up. He's a guy that can knock the crap out of you over the middle. I mean, if y'all don't remember, Reggie Pearson is the same dude that that took Dylan Gabriel's life and Eric Gray's life uh, in that Texas Tech game. So yeah, uh, and. You know, you, you look at, you know, we've already talked about the D-line. You're bringing in guys like Lewis Carter, who I think can do something. Uh, Phil Pachotti, Peyton Bowen, obviously, Makari Vickers. I mean, Josiah, Wag- like Josiah Wagner. Josiah Wagner is one of those guys that's small but mighty. He, I think he only stands at about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, but he's scrappy. He's going to fight for his. He reminds me of Trey Norwood a little bit because I seem to remember Trey Norwood his last season. Uh, being that kind of player. So, you know, it's just interesting because it's like there's so much you look at on paper and it's it's just so easy to see why defensively you can take a step up because what I think you've got now is you've got depth and you've got an opportunity to have some competition because I think that's what you need because last year that was your big issue was the depth factor. You know, you guys would come on the page and scream about why is this guy still in the game? Because the guy behind him just ain't as good. And it's going to be even worse. Like when we would clamor to get David Aguebu out the game, it's like, okay, let's bring in Jaron Kanick. Well, here's the thing about Jaron Kanick. Jaron Kanick still has to learn how to play linebacker. The head coach himself said he still has to learn how to play the position. Do you think it's a good idea to put him in over the guy 
who has been ultra productive for you throughout the season? Because me personally, I don't. Um, you know, you you, you may want to scream and you may want to scream for Danny Stutzman to get benched and bring in Kobe McKenzie. But what are we going to do if Kobe McKenzie is too slow? Bring in Kip Lewis. What are we going to do if Kip Lewis is too small? Can't bring in Shane Witter because he's hurt. So depth is going to matter. Like I think for for you. On the uh, in the secondary, you've got like a Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence. So let's say you've let's say you've got Pearson at the nickel, Bowman and Lawrence at the free and strong. If Key Lawrence takes a step up next year, which he needs to, you're talking about a secondary that doesn't have many faults. And I even think like Reggie Pearson is a guy who needs to improve in coverage as well. He's not like a He's more of a safety that's going to knock you out rather than he is a safety that's going to go out and get picks. And so, I like I'll get into more depth chart stuff in the spring because I have a better feeling of what exactly is supposed to be happening. Like I'm literally just kind of throwing stuff off the wall when I'm talking about uh, Pearson starting at nickel. Like I don't know who's going to play nickel, but. You look at that from that standpoint, and it's like, so if Key Lawrence is playing awful, you can bring in a Reggie Pearson. If Pearson's playing awful, you've got a guy named Peyton Bowen. Uh, and same thing for Billy Bowman. If Bowman's playing bad, you've got Peyton Bowen. You've got all the – you Bakari Vickers, I, I, I mentioned that name, but I didn't mention him as being a part of that rotation. It's like, I mean, look, maybe I need to chill and let these guys get through a workout first. But just based off what I see from guys like Vickers and Bowen so far, it's like I don't see a reason these guys can't go make some noise in, in, in practices and potentially be guys that contribute. Peyton Bowen can be and needs to be because Peyton Bowen has the athleticism. He has the range. I've talked about that on this show for the last, I don't know how many weeks. And so I just see so much on the defensive side of the ball. that gives me reason to believe that it can and should be better and it will be better. Like, I've talked about the same McCullough, and it's like, you know, this is your cheetah. This is your starting cheetah right here. This is your guy that's going to be all over the place. You know, and I mentioned that after the Florida State game, and uh, as the brother that made the point that um that this team was one cheetah, one safety, and I think he said one pass rusher away, or this defense was, was one of those three things away from being elite. Well, it's true, because you're bringing it in. You got Bothroyd, who's your pass rusher. McCullough, who's your cheetah? And uh, did I say safety? I think I said safety. Did I say safety? I don't remember what I said. I just know I said you need three difference makers. You've got them. Like Billy Bowman, I think, you know, Billy Bowman took a huge step up this year. No doubt about that. But like Billy Bowman next year, due for a huge year. Should be his last year because if all things go well, he's going to be in the draft. Uh, Woody Washington coming back for a year. That's another thing I didn't hit on. Woody Washington coming back for a year is huge and much needed. Uh, CJ Colton leaving, I mean, kind of expected, but I think he also had the choice to come back. But I don't know how that whole process works. So maybe he was like, I'm just not going to go through that. But, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's, like I said, the spring's going to be interesting. Uh, because this is mainly what I, like, I'll tell you this for spring ball. I'm mainly going to be looking out for what happens on the defensive side, uh, because I just see so much potential in that side of the ball, even in guys that are going to be coming in guys that aren't even here yet. Uh, you know, move in day was yesterday. 
And I know guys like Dan McCullough are not on campus yet. Um, who else is on campus? I can't get the names off the top of my head, but I know there are a few guys that are still uh, not on campus at the moment, but and probably won't be until um, the summer. But uh, moving a little bit to the offensive side, I covered I covered Andrew Anthony already, but I didn't talk about uh, Walter Rouse, who is the uh, uh, left tackle transfer from Stanford. And originally committed to Nebraska. Now, let's say this. His final options were Nebraska, Oklahoma, or Iowa. Three schools with really good offensive line tutelage. So, kind of gives you a little bit of insight on his talent, first of all. Secondly, this is a guy who started 39 football games. And he's coming in to fill a position that you really need help at because you're losing your best player at that spot, and Anton Harrison. And um, or am I mixing that up? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's Anton Harrison. So you're losing a first-round pick in Anton Harrison at that spot. Walter Rouse. I had somebody tell me last week that once he puts it all together, he's a first-round pick. Now, that should tell you something because he's coming to play for the Bill Beatonbow School of O-Line, School of Pancakes. Uh, oh, my gosh. No, that was – never mind. That was a cringy joke I just had in my head. I'm not even going to do it. Y'all are going to turn the show off if I do. But – um. Anyway, back to the point. So Walter Rouse is a guy who will uh, bring something major to this team next year in a much-needed spot. Uh, You're talking about Tyler Guyton on the other side of him, who another guy that once he puts it all together, he's going to be a dude. Uh, And the other thing about the Rouse edition is, I mean, you're dealing with Jacob Sexton's injury. And uh, from what I've heard, Jacob Sexton's injury is a little bit more um, serious than I think really thought. Uh, You know, I think it might be more than an ACL. I don't even remember seeing him get hurt. I just know I didn't see him play the rest of that game. And, uh, of course, the assumption was that he was hurt. So, yeah. But O-line is going to be huge next year. Uh, Andrew Ram, I think, is going to have to take a step up in the middle at center. And, like, here's, like, here's, what, here's what the national championship taught me. Well, I mean, watching SEC football every week has taught me this. But what it really taught me watching them play a Big 12 team was to be successful in the SEC, you really got to get strong in the trenches. Because like at a place like Oklahoma, the skill positions are going to take care of themselves. Okay, The receivers are going to take care of themselves, the running backs, the quarterbacks. Like, yeah, they, they always, you're always going to have a great one at that spot. Okay, it, It's always good. But up front, O-line and D-line. That's where the success comes from. Because look at Georgia. Georgia's got a dude up front every year. Last year, it was Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker. This year, it was Jalen Carter, who's about to be a top three, top five pick. Maybe the number one pick. Um, Bama always has a great defensive lineman. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, uh, uh, Will Anderson. I mean, they always have a great offensive lineman. Evan Neal last year. Uh, Alex Leatherwood was okay. I think he's not that great now, but uh, he was a pretty good player at Alabama. Uh, you know, even Georgia had a nice offensive lineman. Makai Becton was that guy. Uh, Andrew Thomas was that guy. So the trenches is where things really happen. In the, and it really is where they happen in football, point blank, period. But that's mainly where all the action is with these SEC squads. Because when you think about some of these, you think about some of these, um, these, these playoff games that OU's played in. Where did they mainly get mauled? It was up front. Like the LSU game, well, they got mauled everywhere, but a big part of it was up front. 
uh, you know, Bama game, same way. And so that's where a lot of this, this stuff, cause like, that's what I say. The national championship taught me was one, this, this program has a lot to do before they get to the sec, but that's like the main one is you've got to get right in the trenches. Cause anybody that knows football knows that's where the, that's where you win games. Even, even Vince Lombardi said it like, I'm not trying to be the old man here, but that's what Vince Lombardi said. Like, you win the games in the trenches. That's where the championships are wrong. You're starting to slowly build that. Because Caleb Schaefer, the kid from uh, started or started 23 games at uh, Miami of uh, Miami. I'm such an Oklahoman. Uh, Miami of Ohio uh, started 23 games there at guard. That's beef. Because I'm trying to remember. I want to say, let me let me go check this real quick. So you're bringing in Caleb Schaefer, who is 323 pounds. And uh, that's a big boy. But, like, if you had to give me right now, who starts at the offensive line against Arkansas State? Left tackle, you're looking at Rouse. Left guard, you're probably looking at Savion Bird, who has to clean up the penalties and stuff like that. But I do love the nastiness, this, though. Uh, Andrew Rame at the center. Right guard would be McCabe Matoyer if he could finally get it together because I don't think he was all that hot this year. And then the right tackle, you've got Tyler Guyton. So now I say that with Matoyer, and it's like if Matoyer's not getting his crap together, you've got Jake Taylor, and Jake Taylor is a ma- is a nasty you-know-what. So, again, competition at that spot. Or on that entire front. And you've got guys there. Because, like, Savion Bird can be a dude, and we saw that against Florida State. But, again, it was the penalties that really kind of knocked him in the tail. And once he gets that all fixed up, he'll be just fine. But I, I don't know. Like, that's just my whole point. Like, I think that's really all that it, it, that's not all that it takes, but that's like the biggest thing that it takes for you on the field in order to be successful. And, you know, cause right now as things stand, this is probably your final season in the big 12 conference. And if not next year, for sure is your last season in the big 12 conference. So you ain't, you've got some time, but you ain't got that much time because if you go out there this season and you have another year, like you had this year, Norman, Oklahoma probably won't exist anymore because it's been burned to the ground. Okay. Uh, now I'm not enticing that by the way, just a disclaimer. If the city of Norman is listening to this, I'm not in any way, shape or form condoning a riot. Uh, we at center sports daily do not base our values on that. We are a faith based company. Anyway, um, back to my point. It's like, we, <laughs> I've, I've said this several times. I said it on the PG show last week. Like you, have got to really meet me eye to eye here and feel me on why I think this team can do some things next year. Because based off what I see from this team and like, you know, like I made my points about Ethan Downs and stuff like that. But when you talk about guys like PJ Adabare and Trace Ford and Rondell Bothroyd, big shot, his spot to get taken if he doesn't step up. And in this step up, I mean, step up in like a way of, hey, you got to be better than you than, than you've been so far. And I hate having to criticize the best guys on the team. Like Ethan Downs. Ethan Downs, you talk about a guy you would let date your daughter. That's Ethan Downs. Like, stereotypical, last one in, last one out kind of guy, you know. 
But no, for real. I mean, Ethan Downs is an awesome dude. Reggie Grimes, awesome dude. But it's like these are two guys that are really going to have to step it up in a major way next year, and Ethan Downs especially. Uh, because, again, like I think we all saw, we thought that Ethan Downs was going to have this, this Dan Cody-esque type year, and that wasn't the case. And when you're bringing in the, like I think maybe the new guys just are that good, and they can come in and push him out. Not get him to transfer, but take his spot, do something. You know, I think like when you look at this on the surface, it's not a re it's it's reason to think that this team can go be can go compete for the Big Twelve Championship next year. They should. I don't know what TCU is reloading with. I know they picked up two guys from Alabama, uh, but I don't know what they're really bringing back. Like I don't think they're going to have another year like they did this year. Um, you know, you 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 you. Iowa State, no, they're not a threat anymore. Oklahoma State, I don't know what the heck is going on up there. Oklahoma State might just have like a – they might just need to have a – they don't might. Oklahoma State definitely needs to have a come-to-Jesus meeting uh, because I don't know what is – I don't know what's going on up there. Uh, Now, they did get a nice pickup in Alan Bowman. Alan Bowman's a really nice player. If you remember, Alan Bowman's been in college so long that he almost beat Oklahoma in love when Kyler Murray was the quarterback here. So, uh, Alabama's a good player. Like the other thing is though, I don't know who he's throwing to at Oklahoma state. So, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen up there. Um, I know they picked up a kid from Iowa the other day and, uh, yeah, yeah, that's not going to be a threat. Texas, Texas is going to be good next year. Like, let's just be honest for a second. They're going to be really nice next year. Um, you know, I don't know what Baylor's going to do. I don't know what, you know, I mean, I really don't know what, like, I just don't know what to expect from the Big 12 right now going into the next year. And so when I look at Oklahoma, it's like I see what you're doing right now. All these guys you're bringing in, I have reason to believe this team can be special next year. I'm not saying they're going to have a TCU, you know, run and go to a national championship. God forbid they do because they're going to have to meet Kirby Smart. And... That ain't a hard. That ain't a, that ain't a formula for success right now. I'm not ready to do that quite yet. But, um, you know, I don't know, man. It's 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 just it's just it's it's hard for me just not to look at it right now and have hope. Uh, and I know I end every episode saying that, but like, I just have reason to believe, you know. Um. So I mean, there's that. I mean, to me, I really just wanted to hop in here and give my thoughts on some of these because I literally have it. Like I said, I've said a maximum of thirty words in the last two episodes. Uh, it's definitely more than that, but I haven't said much just besides asking questions. Uh, you know, but again, these those last two episodes were awesome. Like if you didn't listen to them, man, you're really selling yourself short. Go listen to it. Uh, like I said, man, play it for the kids. Let the kids grow up. And listen to OU football. Just don't let them grow up to get on message boards. Okay, don't let them do that. Don't let them grow up to. Uh, you know, get in Facebook groups and get in comment sections and want to fire uh, coordinators when they mess up on one bad play. Don't don't let them grow up to do that. That's why you let them listen to half hundred. I mean, half hundred. That was our old podcast. That's why you let them listen to the Blitz period of Jalen Ross, so they can do that. Um, but no, man, make sure you guys leave a rating, leave a review. You guys know all the rules of the end of the episode. I should have to tell you this. Uh, you know, best is a standard, and this is the podcast standard. Make sure you leave a writing, writing, leave a rating, leave a review. Uh, Follow the social media accounts, Instagram at Sooner Sports Daily, at The Blitz Period, uh, Twitter accounts at The Blitz Period, and underscore Jalen M. Ross. Uh, follow the rest of our staff on Instagram at Blake Ant Koviak, not with a V, with a W. Uh, 
and uh, at Harrison Bergman, uh, who is also a new member on our staff. We'll actually be introducing him here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but you guys have got to go give a follow to our content director, uh, Blake Antkoviak. That's Blake, A-A-N-T-K-O-W-I-A-K. I start slipping up there. Uh, but anyway, uh, this show is brought to you by BNM Media, and we appreciate you guys listening once again. Uh, follow all those rules. Share it with your uncle, your aunt, your mama, your cousin, your dad, your brother, your brother's brothers, your dogs, your lawn, your lawn care person, your pool boy for the rich folks out there. Your maid, your cook, anybody. I don't care who it is. Just get these ratings up. And thank you guys for listening once again. And we'll see y'all next week. Stay safe in these streets. And we'll be soon. The Blitz Period with Jalen Ross is brought to you by Sooners360.com.